Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Curtis Birch, host and producer on News Radio 630, WLAP, the home of the cats. If it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, we'll be talking about it right here Monday through Friday on the Locked On Podcast Network. On this edition of the show, we are going to be talking basketball and football and sharing some more Mitch Barnhart comments. We got some news from the NBA. We got to talk some basketball recruiting. Kentucky basketball has a new addition that we teased you guys about. And some positive news for UK football. Well, let's start out in the NBA. Many of you, I'm sure, know terrible news for DeMarcus Cousins. He has a torn left ACL. This comes after he recovered from a torn Achilles last season and then ruptured his quad in the playoffs and came back for the Warriors in the NBA Finals. He had signed with the L.A. Lakers this year. Just a really, really bad break for a guy who was set to cash in big with the Sacramento Kings, but then they traded him to the Pelicans where he got injured and then he was trying to get back from a road to recovery where he was signing a couple he signed the one year deal with the Warriors and was going to do the same thing with the Lakers this year be on a title contender and show his worth but an injury happens and then he's kind of back to square one so he he's going to have to he's going to have to prove that he is healthy before he can get that contract another contract and it's probably never going to be as big as what he thought he would have gotten um, with all the the numbers he had been putting up with Sacramento. So just terrible luck and terrible timing for DeMarcus Cousins. Just doubly bad news for him. From a positive news standpoint, in the NBA, free agent Patrick Patterson has agreed to a one-year $2.3 million deal with the L.A. Clippers. Clippers, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. So Patterson will be on a title contender this year with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in uh, Laker land. So, hey, maybe I should go out to go to L.A., cover the Lakers and the Clippers. you got enough Kentucky guys out there. That'll be a situation where there'll be a lot of news, and obviously he'll be in the limelight a ton this year. He'll probably fill a role as a bench player, most likely, as the, the kind of spot he'll be in um, for the Clippers who need some veteran dudes and some dudes that can come in and hit some shots. Patterson has been able to do that in the past. He didn't fit perfectly with the Thunder in recent years, so he'll get a new new shot on a new team. Um, in the basketball recruiting world, I'm sure many of you, if not all, saw that Infallite Dante picked Oregon over Kentucky. It's a blow to UK. There's no other way to kind of slice it there. Kentucky could have used some more depth in the front court. I mean, just look at all the big t- big players they were recruiting. Um, he said in a piece on the Player Tribune that he was looking for a place with a strong education that has a family atmosphere, and he felt that Oregon was that place. It was the result from a Kentucky standpoint is not what you want, but the piece was was pretty good and. A kid who was originally from Mali and where his, that's where his mother still is over in Africa tells a tale about saving peanuts to make peanut butter that he sold in a market and bought his first pair of real basketball shoes. So a guy who came from humble beginnings, I mean, peanuts, like playing for peanuts, working for peanuts is a metaphor and not having much money. And he was literally saving peanuts uh, to be able to play basketball at a high enough level to get noticed and to get on some radars and get over to the United States. And now he's going on to the Division One college basketball level. 
many of you would I'm sure would have preferred if that was in Lexington, but it's in Oregon, so still a phenomenal story. The interesting thing now in locally with UK is where do they go in the front court? Is it a situation where maybe they play some small ball? We've been talking about that a lot. As the season draws near and we get more insight into how uh, they're playing, we'll be discussing it more. Also on the college basketball recruiting side, um, there's been more allegations. There's been some motions. I'm sure many of you have been following along with these. The headline grabber is that Zion Williamson was paid, and um, according to the lawyer who has filed these motions, um, you know, there's a lot of lot of working parts. He's under a investigation. I always mess up his name. I think it's Avanti. I'm not sure. I don't particularly like this messenger, but, I mean, these are in-court records, but you might have seen that UK's name, University of Kentucky, is is in this motion. And where they are mentioned is that um, the EYBL director, Carlton DeBose, um, according to the motion, here's a quote, acknowledge an exchange of text messages with an assistant coach at the University of Kentucky that Nike was funneling payments to high school players through at least 10 different EYBL coaches. EYBL, um, of course, is the grassroots organization for Nike basketball. So if you, the way to interpret that is Kentucky was not directly involved. They were just saying basically that the EYBL director acknowledged that improprieties were afoot to a University of Kentucky coach. So we'll see where that goes. Um, going forward, final note on basketball is we told you about this guy earlier. Riley Welsh is now officially a member of the UK basketball team. A six-foot guard out of Littleton, Colorado, will join the team as a walk-on. He will be eligible immediately. He was originally, as a freshman, played for UC Irvine. Last season, played at the College of the Deserts. His father is L.A. Clipper assistant John Welsh. John Calipari said of the new addition, Riley, like his father, is a gym rat and wants to get in the gym and work. So he will be a great addition to this group. Calipari continued and said that I've known Riley and his family for a long time. He comes from a basketball family that loves this game and loves challenges. I'm excited to have him in the program and be a part of our family. Always need guys in practice, need those bodies in practice. It feels like oftentimes when we go through the season, a couple injuries happen or whatever reason. And, you know, even last year when you quad a green transfers, you're in a spot where you're running low on guys to fill out practice sessions. And it's tough to run five on five. So this is a guy who has division one college basketball experience playing at UC Irvine, got in some, some minutes as a freshman um, out there. And obviously a ton of basketball connections with his dad being assistant for the Clippers. Hey, he and uh, Patrick Patterson, <laughs> there's your, there's your UK connection right there. It all circles back around. So let's take a quick break and then share some positive news from UK football. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. UK Athletics tweeted out today that four-game flex packs are now sold out. 
Season tickets, including a limited number of the popular pocket passes, remain available, though. Um, really good news from a ticket sales standpoint. You know, it, it is a situation where ticket sales throughout college athletics and college football are down kind of across the country. But Kentucky's in the unique situation where they're coming off such a historic season. It seems like the momentum is going in a positive way. And this four-game flex back being, seeing sold, being sold out is a, a situation where that's that's proof. We don't have, I guess, the latest numbers on how many season tickets have been sold this year. But the last update we got, they sold, and I think this was probably a month or so ago, they had sold more season tickets at that point than they did all of the year before. So they're on track to have a better year than the year before, which is the opposite trend nationally. But you kind of expect that considering how successful the season before was. Um, it, it's a situation where you'll continue to kind of track it and see where it goes going forward. But to have that high mark is obviously positive. And I mean, Mark Stoops and the players and all the assistant coaches have talked about how important fans in the stadium are, um, you know, in, on all levels. And you know that they appreciate that. Um, Stoops was glowing after fan day. Well, glow. Well, Mark Stoops, <laughs> I, I kid. You know, he can glow mad red when he has a bad practice. This was like a positive glow. He had such a smile on his face after that fan day to see the energy around the program and to see all the people that had come out um, to autographs and then to the open practice. I mean, he he seemed he just seemed kind of surprised how big that line was that people that wanted his autograph. Um, and he admitted that he was disappointed that he couldn't sign more of them, but that's the way. It goes. Other positive news from UK football practice on Thursday, Juco transfer Brandon Eccles was back practicing. It's the first time he's been back since suffering a hamstring injury that's this last summer. That's uh, from a tweet from my buddy John Hale. So obviously a big re-addition to the UK secondary there. That's a guy, Eccles, who Lynn Bowden pointed out during SEC media days down in Alabama is a guy who can play and will be able to perform for the UK secondary since that is such a concern. And, you know, he he was going up against him and, and battling up against him. So it should be a situation where he would know um, how, go- how good he is. And just to strike it all the way down, you need as many bodies as you can get since you have such little experience. And while he doesn't have... SEC experience. Eccles played college basketball at the college football at the junior college level, so that is some experience. So any any anything is a big um, addition to that secondary. Obviously, we got next time you're listening to this will be be a situation where we're getting closer and closer to that to that first UK football game. So we'll be talking a ton about that next week. Let's go ahead and jump back into some of those Mitch Barnhart comments. I'm sure as many of you know, Kyle Tucker got a chance to talk to him. And in this clip, he is going to be talking about the NCAA Basketball Selection Committee. You've been on the committee. Now you're going to lead the committee to select the, the tournament. What has been the most surprising lesson going from an outsider in that process to inside that room for you what's the most surprising thing you've learned from being there i think it, the first year it was certainly it was not overwhelming um but it's a it certainly is an eye-opener uh the uh 
the intentionality of the committee, the amount of work that they, how hard they work at it. Um, I had some really, really diligent, hardworking people on that thing. They've got day jobs. And uh, then, oh, by the way, they've got this other thing called the basketball committee. And they work incredibly hard at it. Now, I'm on that committee, so I'm one of those folks. You, you've got your group of folks that help you on campus, and, and there's a lot to it. And uh, it is a time-consuming labor of love, so to speak. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, the, the absolute um, effort to get it right um, did surprise me, but it was refreshing. Because the public sitting there thinking, the conspiracy theorists would say, oh, they're trying to match those two teams up because we know they did that on purpose. I will, I will go the other way. I will tell you the committee works really hard not to let that happen. There isn't, a, there isn't not that behind the doors. They just thought they'd meet with, with the television execs and all this to see if they could get the perfect man. It's not that at all. Not that at all. It is an absolute effort by 10 people in a room to try and get the best bracket seated properly, fair spots for everybody to get a fair shake at the tournament and to, to have a fair shake to get to a Final Four and to win a championship. So it wasn't surprising, but it was refreshing to know that. One of those conspiracy theorists is your head basketball coach. Oh, yeah. So have you, have you ever had a – since you've been on the committee, have you had a conversation with Cal that's kind of essentially, hey, it's not the, uh, the dastardly thing that you think? Yeah, I, I don't know that we've had that conversation per se, but I think he knows. You know, he and I have talked. You know, like, you know, we're, you know I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a calming effect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's possible. But um, – <laughs> You know, I, I believe that 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 he is. Um, you'd have to ask him, but I think that he has a confidence that that knowing someone in there um, has a confidence that it's there's a ways to be managed. I, let me tell you, Dan Gavitt manages it from the from the front end. That group, um, remarkable. And it's just a, it's a pleasure to work with. He's a pro. I mean, the guy's really good at what he does. He understands. He has a love and a passion for the game of basketball. And he wants it to be one of the greatest events in, in sports. And for those 30 days in March, it's, or in the leading into April, it's pretty special. It is remarkably special. And, and so to, I think Cal knows that he, there's there's people at a really high level that care about the game and care about the quality of the tournament. And, and uh, I think that's been good. I mean, I think that uh, I think he'll always have a comment on the tournament. I think he'll always have a comment on the bracket because if he didn't, it wouldn't be Cal's time. So they, once they give him the opportunity, once the bracket's popped up, he's going to say something, and that's okay. And that's, you know, that's part of the fun of the tournament, too. Some of that is for the benefit of his team and – the fan base, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he knows he's playing to an audience. Yeah, right? newsflash for everybody. <laughs> um, there are no easy paths to the deal. Right. You know, it, and they always, wow, they've got the hardest path. And I, I forget which year it was. Um, my second year, I think. What? No, wait. Where, 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 yeah. Year two. Virginia year. 
was yeah well and it was it was the year that it just sort of busted wide open remember that and, and oh, when you had the yellow brick road yeah so everybody goes oh my gosh yeah. and it's it gonna be arizona yeah number one overall seed yeah and, and it was gonna be oh my word and then all of a sudden it was easy and then you lose yeah, yeah. and so then you go okay, okay well see yeah. you know so it, even you sit there and go in a one-off it's no uh when you when you think you know you really don't yeah yeah, you really don't. That's the beauty of the tournament. Too. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's the reason people. Yeah, if it, if it just played to to form, yeah. nobody would watch. We'll hear more from Mitch Barnhart in just a minute. You are locked on Kentucky, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Kyle, I thought I asked a really good question. There have been you know a lot of discussion around the Rice Commission and who's making these recommendations for college basketball, and so he. Um, was asking, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just let Kyle kind of ask the question about who should be making these decisions on college basketball. What kind of people with what kind of backgrounds do you think should be leading the NCAA reforms that are in progress? Which reforms? Uh, You know, let's say college basketball. College basketball in particular. There's this committee and there have been changes that have been received good and bad to yeah. this point. I mean, what what kind of people with what sort of knowledge and background should be yeah. leading the change of I college? I think you always, well? you always, no matter what it is, in any change, let's not talk about one specific piece then. Let's just talk globally. I think in any kind of change, you have to have practitioners um, that have got experience and understand it, blended with some people that are willing to ask right, ask the right questions and challenge the culture. So you blend those two together and hopefully out of that you get um, some solutions or some thoughts that allow you to proceed and grow rather than just either stag- stagnate or regress. And uh, the, the blending, I think people that are in it every day and that, un, that have got some experience at it, um, you cannot discount that. Um, but every once in a while, and I, and I say this respectfully because I'm one of those guys been in it a long time, you can also get to a spot where you, you don't see something else that, that could be helpful. Yeah, blind spots because yeah, you're blind spots. In the middle of put it. It. You know, you don't you don't want a blind spot. And so you, if you have some people out there that help you identify your blind spots, okay. To to have a sweeping um, to have a say that, that you know we're we're not going to the either side, either either group isn't going to listen, uh, would be a challenge. So you want people that are gonna listen to one another and I think that that um, people a lot of times get hung up in titles and, and pedigrees and things like that and, and I, I think it's um, important just to have really really smart people that are good listeners and that are willing to, uh, to work it out um, and work, work through change uh, change is hard uh, I think we have this incredible notion that 
uh, you write a white paper, and, and, and I'm not talking about the Rice Commission, I mean, like I'm not talking about that. Any change, you just write a white paper and throw it out there, and this, this will fix it tomorrow, just change all, do as we, it's, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. It takes time. Uh, some of the great challenges and some of the great changes took place over, over periods of years, you know, and so adjustments are being made whether, um, you know, it's, uh, I think people want to live in, in polar positions and rather than trying to find life in the balance. And so um, I think that that's where you got to hopefully find cultural change, organizational change, generational change. You got you to gotta find practitioners, experts, and be good listeners and, and work it, work together and not try and rush it. You try and rush it, I mean, people say, we got to do this, it's got to happen just now, and, you know, okay. Sometimes when you do that, you don't get quite what you're hoped for. Last clip from Mitch here. Every time you get into the NCAA tournament, when you boil things down, debate year after year is small school, big school. So Mitch discussed that and then got into some other things as well. So a lot of things covered here, but he starts out talking about small schools in the NCAA tournament. As it relates to the mid-major, I thought that this year there was much attention given to the quote-unquote mid-major. I thought that that our room um, is well represented by um, a a pretty diverse group of people. There's, you know, this year there was... Think so. You had Bernard, Kevin, me, Jim Phillips. So it was four power autonomy, five, whatever you want to call it, um, reps, and the other six were from other areas of Division One basketball, um, including three conference commissioners and uh, three from institutions. Let me get my math right. I think I'm right. Yeah, right. So. I don't think you can go through any of those conversations without having conversations, any deliberations without having conversations about um, really high-quality teams that, um, you know, might have lost out in their conference semifinals or something like that. They'd come out at 29-5 or something like that. I remember before the tournament began, and we're in our we're in our last part of our season or anything like that and Cal's parting words to me were hey don't let me play Wofford <laughs> so, really oh yeah so, uh, well so he but I'm sure the bracket's fine so. did you laugh when that was oh, on yeah. the board oh yeah I knew I knew that'd get I knew that'd get a you know because and that goes to show seriously that you know the I had you know no I'm out of the room when that's right. talked about, so that's I'm thankful for that. Um, but at the end of the day, they were a really, really good basketball team. Oh boy, were they good! Terrifically good. And so I thought that there, there's much attention given. Um, you know, I think when you start looking at the teams that are in the inside the top 75, 80, whatever, even 100 of the of the of the net, and you sit there and say, okay. Who are the basketball teams that need to fill the, the, the bracket? And the con- that's why the conversations are so in-depth, and that's why there's such um, time given to all that. Um, we, that's why we go in first part of February to 
Indianapolis and have a conversation and go through a, a walkthrough and, and and get to a spot where we're talking about some of that stuff and, and we're doing the conference monitoring calls. We've, we've, we've each got, I've got seven or eight conferences that I'm monitoring and each committee member's got that and we've got backups and secondaries and we're on calls three and four times a year with those conferences saying, tell us what you see. What are you seeing that might be different than what we're seeing? Or should we be noticing something out there? We're paying attention. They, they do that at a really high level. And so there's much attention given. Um, you know, the, the conversations are, are uh, uh, very, very informative to the depth of, of how they score off the bench. Are they a good free throw shooting team? Do they rebound the ball well? How would they match up in the tournament? You know, and you know, and and I think that it's um, that's the beauty of the tournament. You know, you there will be some years. I think you'll probably get. You know, you had Loyola um, in the final four. In the final Loyola Chicago in the final four two years ago. I mean, so I think that you you and I'm not you know I'm not saying their path wasn't a championship path. To get there, I mean, I know they had to win their tournament, not, but my point is simply, um, it's those stories that keep reminding us that that there's a lot of worthy teams, and it's important to pay attention. Because of that, and there have been we've seen VCU and George Mason and 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 Butler and then Loyola. Has there been a recent? Do you think there's been a recent shift? Because it used to be. If you're one of those teams, if you're Murray State and you don't win your mm-hmm. conference tournament, you got no shot. If you're Belmont and you don't win your conference tournament, you got two in this year. You got no shot. Do you think that there's been a an actual conversation on the committee, an actual shift in let's let's think hard about the value of the mid major that has one slip? Yeah, you know, uh, I think the conversation and Dan does a great job of reminding us it is about getting the best 68. In your mind, as a group, as a committee group, and it's got to be voted on. There's not one, you don't get to slide in with one vote. Dan reminds us continually, it is the best 68 as voted on by the full committee. And so I think that's the goal. And if you're one of the best 68, it shouldn't matter whether you're from um, a a mid-major or a power five. Uh, It shouldn't. If you're one of the best 68, you're in the tournament and you're seated. And I think that's what he reminds us continually. And I think that's been the bedrock of, of the tournament. And, and and that's the great conversation after the bracket comes out. They were one of the best 68. No, they were. And, you know, and, right. Okay, you left them out, but you put them in. And, you know, they're never going to get away with that. Right. You're never going to get away from that. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're going to – that's always going to be it. That's the beauty of, the, of March. The debate, yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you to Mitch Barnhart for sitting down with Kyle. Thanks to Kyle for that audio. Thanks to me for editing that audio. You're welcome. <laughs> I kid. Um, I'm recording down here. I'm in Orlando, Florida for a podcast convention. Got to meet the one and only head man, David Locke, today over at the convention. Had some really fun things. Got to see a 30 for 30 um, presentation, which was kind of cool uh, as well. Just a, f- a fun time. So that's why these have not been me and Kyle. I'm out of state, and he's, if you saw his timeline, up in the hospital with his wife again. So we'll be connecting up again next week and be bringing you all the news. We're going to be talking a ton of football. Kyle has some amazing basketball stuff in the works. And actually, I think he's got a big football story as well. I'm not 100% sure on everything that he's working on, but I know you will love it. So the best way to stay 
all the way up to date with all of our workings is to subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast player you are using. And then if you could, share it with somebody else who would enjoy the show. And then finally, please follow us on social media. The show is at LockedOnUK on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Curtis Birch, B-U-R-C-H on Twitter. And Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore ATH. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you soon. You are Locked On Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.